Welcome to episode 91 of the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Beth Bilow, and it's great to have you with me here today. Whether it's your first or your 91st episode, I hope you hear something that will make you smile, spark an insight, improve your business, or maybe even change your life. At the time of this episode's airing, we are T-minus 27 days away from the official launch on November 3rd, 2015 of my new book, The Introvert Entrepreneur, Amplify Your Strengths and Create Success on Your Own Terms. We received a very positive review from Publishers Weekly recently, who called it a winning business manual, as well as a thoughtful, kind, and helpful guide for introverts who want to build a business while honoring their natural energy. As you probably know, I'm not big on blatant promotion on this podcast. That said, there comes a time when it's necessary for me to be bold and call on you, this community, to make the leap from listener to reader and pre-order your copy of The Introvert Entrepreneur today. Oh, and if you still want to be a listener, that's cool too, because there will be an audiobook version. It just might not be available for pre-sale yet. You'll find all the links you need in the show notes for this episode on my website, theintrovertentrepreneur.com. Order a copy for yourself, for a colleague, client, family member, or friend. The more, the merrier. Thanks for being a supporter and for spreading the word. It's my pleasure to welcome Julia Pimsler to the podcast today. She's celebrating the launch of her new book, Million Dollar Women, The Essential Guide for Female Entrepreneurs Who Want to Go Big, which was just published on October 6, 2015. Julia is a self-proclaimed extrovert, but as you'll hear through our conversation, she has wisdom that's valuable to introverts when it comes to building a successful business and going big on your own terms, according to your own definition of big. And for the men listening to this, I know you're going to find her advice to be very valuable as well. Julia Pimsler is the CEO and founder of Little Pim, the leading system for introducing young children to a second language. Little Pim has won 25 awards for its proprietary entertainment immersion method and is sold in 22 countries. After raising millions in capital for Little Pim, she created her popular Double Digit Academy, an online course, Further, Faster, Funded, to help other women do the same. She is the author of the book that I just mentioned, Million Dollar Women, The Essential Guide for Female Entrepreneurs Who Want to Go Big, which comes to you from Simon & Schuster. Hi, Julia. Welcome to the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm looking forward to talking with you about Million Dollar Women today. Hi, Beth. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, what is making you smile today? You know, I'm almost done reading The Wizard of Oz to my two boys. They're 7 and 10, and mm -hmm. it's so much fun to dive back into that world and share it with them. It's a great read-aloud book if anyone has kids. Lovely. I, I'm familiar with the movie, of course. I think everyone is, but I've never, I don't think I've ever read the real book. Oh, it's fantastic. It's so much fun. What a treat you're giving them. Thank you. And great, great vocabulary. Yes, yes. Lots of imagination, too. So just to give our listeners some context, you know, as we move forward with our conversation, I always like to ask about where you feel like you fall on the introvert extrovert spectrum. And how does knowing where you fall influence you in any way? So I fall 
pretty squarely in the extrovert part of uh, introvert-extrovert. Mm -hmm. But the way this influences me is I try to bring people onto my team at work who are more introvert in the sense that I think we really complement each other that way. I'm never happier than in a room full of 100 people and you have to <laughs> drag me away you know, before I've gotten the chance to talk to everyone. But I really value the people on my team who can you know, hunker down, get things done, aren't as distractible as I am mm -hmm. um, or as drawn to you know, spending a lot of time out of the office. And we get a lot out of each other by having that balance. Lovely. Yeah, it's like the yin-yang you know, need for, for having op opposing energies around us to bring out the best in us. Absolutely. And, you know, I, for a while I was under the misguided conception that an introvert is someone who doesn't like to talk to people mm -hmm. and an extrovert is someone who enjoys the company of others. And I was very intrigued when I read this article in Psychology Today a few years ago that yes. explained that an introvert is someone who recharges by being alone and an extrovert recharges by being with others. And I think that's really very clarifying and a lot of people misunderstand the definitions and think, you know, an introvert must be quiet. Well, not necessarily. Exactly. You know, um, I know, I know rabbis who are introverts. They spend <laughs> all day talking to people in their congregation, helping families, being very public. And then when it's time to recharge, they want to go for a bike ride, you know, or, or, or do quiet cooking. Um, whereas when I'm ready to recharge, it's, you know, where's my best girlfriend? Where can mm -hmm. we go out and talk for three hours? And that will actually help reset my clock. Yeah, absolutely. And, and knowing that is so important, you know, so for those rabbis and, you know, anybody like that who is um, very much in the public eye and expected to be available, I think it's even more important that you know how you recharge because otherwise you could really burn yourself out absolutely. by thinking, you know, you've always got to be on um, and not drawing any boundaries around that. And so many entrepreneurs do get burned out, and, you know, this could be one of the reasons is you have to put so much energy out just to keep your business going, to do sales, to find the right partners, to get investors. It requires, you know, mental energy to keep putting that out there, and when it comes time to recharge, if you don't know what those things are, you might not be doing the right things to get back to a place where you can start all over again the next day. Exactly. It's very Sisyphean in a way, isn't it, being an entrepreneur? Because yes. there's sort of never any end, right? There's never any finish line. It's no. like every day you get up and you keep trying to grow the business bigger and motivate your team more and make sure that you keep growing. Yeah, yeah. And there's never, you know, when there's more time, when there's more money, when there are more people, when we sell more, you know, it's, it's, yes. uh, you can't make those kinds of things conditional. You just have to keep going. Well, and then, of course, for people who come from a corporate environment where there might have been, you know, an end of year review mm -hmm. or some uh, goal they were trying to reach once you're an entrepreneur, you know, you never, ever feel like you're done. Yes. So you have to make peace with that, I think, in order to stay in that life. You know, it, it took me a few years of running my business to realize, like, it's not going to ever be different from this, right? Like, mm -hmm. I'm never going to feel like I'm done. I'm never going to feel like I'm as accomplished as I want to be. Yep. And just getting comfortable with that and knowing how to sustain myself, you know, more like for a marathon than for a sprint yes. was, was a key yes. part of staying balanced for me. Absolutely. I, I imagine that's probably going to come up here as we continue exploring, particularly some, some ideas from your new book, which is called Million Dollar Women, The Essential Guide for Female Entrepreneurs entrepreneurs who want to go big. And in the description for your book, um, there's a statement that says she, you, Julia, mm -hmm. realized that she had to think and behave differently to become the head of a multi-million dollar company. So what was that, that original way that you were thinking and behaving and what shifted? 
Well, the first few years of my business, I was working so hard and doing so much myself, you know, from sales to partnerships to fulfilling orders. You know, I did have a small team, but we were all just really hunkered down and, and working like crazy, as do all entrepreneurs in the first days of their business. And I think I had the idea that if I just kept working harder, that the business would grow and that suddenly we would achieve the incredible success that I'd always dreamed of. Mm -hmm. And I had a real wake-up call when we started running out of cash, frankly, and, you know, that we had not yet figured out a way to turbocharge our sales, and we had these bills piling up. And here I was, the mother of two young children, running a startup in a small office with, you know, a few staff, but mainly interns. Mm -hmm. And I was exhausted, and I had to really think about how can I do this differently because I got to a place where I even thought about shutting down the business. Mm -hmm. I was just too burnt out, too tired, didn't see the way forward. And that was when I had a really transformative conversation with my cousin who had just sold his business for $400 million to a media conglomerate. And uh, once I got over my jealousy and was able to, you know, ask him for advice, um, he was so gracious. And he said, look, have you thought about raising venture capital? You've built this incredible platform here. What if you raise money to scale this up? Mm -hmm. And when he said that, I was just like a deer in headlights at the sound of the words venture capital. Yeah. You know, like I, I knew who those guys were. They're in Connecticut. They had khaki pants and blue shirts, and they <laughs> talked about finance all day. Right. And I didn't see what they had to do with me and my company that was helping parents become their first children's language tutors. Uh, we sold mainly to mothers. I was a working mom. I don't come from a business background. I, I was a film major, and I didn't have as good a grasp as I would have liked on the finances part of my business. So the idea of talking to those guys was just the last thing in the world I would ever want to do. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I realized that I wanted to save my business and grow my business more than I wanted to stay in my comfort zone. And the comfort zone was what I had done my whole life, which is just put your head down and work harder, right? Mm -hmm. I'd, I'd gotten pretty far that way. But I think many of us come to a crossroads in our life where we realize what got me here may not get me there. Right. And for me, that was one of those moments of thinking, I, you know what, it's gotten me this far, but it's not going to take me down the line. All this grit, all this resolve, all this hard work, I could just work myself right into a hole. Yeah. So that was when I made the decision to change how I thought and behaved and figure out how to go raise venture capital and scale up my business. Nice, nice. And and I, I believe I read you're one of the few women-owned businesses that has had success with venture capital. You know, only 4 to 7% of all VC dollars that are invested every year go to women-run businesses. It's wow. just a tiny number that needs to grow in this decade, and that was part of what motivated me to write Million Dollar Women. After I went out and raised venture capital, I raised $2.1 million, and then I was able to double the size of my business, hire mm -hmm. a professional staff, stop working myself into the ground. I got a great team around me and, and had the, the funds that I needed to grow the business. I realized that the reason so few women are getting venture capital is not because they don't deserve it or have great big ideas that are fundable. It's that they literally don't know how to go about raising that money. Yeah. And I know that when I started to raise capital, I didn't know one woman who had raised venture capital. There are so few of us. So I started teaching women in my conference room to raise venture capital and even angel because many women are intimidated by the idea of raising angel capital as well. Mm -hmm. And it was just 10 women at a time on the weekends in my conference room, but that grew into a small following and I started teaching 10 women at a time in my conference room on weekends. And eventually I called this 
fundraising boot camp Mm -hmm. and started holding it at Morgan Stanley. And I've now trained about 50 women who've raised a collective $10 million. And I'm so proud of them. They're out building their companies and doing amazing things in the world. And their stories inspired me to write this book and help more women consider raising capital to take their businesses big. Will you give us a quick, because I'm um, still learning the language of, you know, raising capital. What is the difference between venture and angel? Sure. One of the things I talk about in my fundraising boot camp is that you don't have to get fluent in fundraising. You only have to get conversational. Mm -hmm. And so part of getting conversational is knowing the difference between all these confusing terms that we hear, you know, private equity, venture capital, angel, crowdfunding. There's just so many different sources of money out there. And so the difference between angel and VC is that VC venture capital tends to be for companies that have a really high growth potential. You know, they're going to be at $100 in revenues in five years. Um, It tends to be tech companies. Companies because those are the ones that scale the quickest. Mm-hmm. And by scale, I just mean, you know, go big in a, in a way that doesn't require too many years or too much capital in order to get there. Right. So an angel capital is the more accessible of angel and venture capital. That's individuals who would fund your company in part because they believe in your company's mission, of course, and the future earnings of your company, but also because they believe in you and what you're trying to achieve in your business. They do of course, want a return, just like the VCs do, but they tend to be looking for a slightly more realistic return. An angel investor is someone who will not only invest money in your company, anything from $10,000 to 100000 sometimes even $200,000, but then they will become your ambassador and ally and help you meet people who will help you grow your business. They often have invested in other businesses in your same industry and can really help you take the business big faster. Yeah. So most of us are probably familiar with, you know, the the shows online like Shark Tank and what you're describing sounds like they're angel investors. Is that accurate? Um, you know, they're angel, the lines between angel and VC have gotten a little bit blurred mm-hmm. because it used to be that VCs only invested in sort of the three million and up range. That was the cutoff. But because angel investing has been fairly successful over the last few years and angels have gotten in early on really big companies that have done incredibly well, VCs are now starting to invest earlier and earlier, and they call that seed funding when they put in something considered very small for VCs would be like $500,000. That's like a seed investment just for them to get in on the ground. Okay. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that you said that it was. it can be confusing because that makes me feel a little bit better for not exactly knowing what all those distinctions are. Um, oh, yes. Now, you're in very good company there. <laughs> good. I, I spent good. months researching the book and really trying to get clear on how I can help women most easily understand the distinctions between yeah. these categories because even to people who are actively fundraising and in the finance world, there really are blurry lines. Yes, yes. I imagine it's getting blurrier all the time, especially with things like crowdfunding coming into the picture. And with every new paradigm or framework that comes into the possibilities of framing a business, it seems like new and unexpected challenges are presented that have to be worked through. And you don't know what's going to happen until you actually do it. I'm glad you mentioned crowdfunding because that's created an opportunity for entrepreneurs who want to sort of get their feet wet in trying to raise money Mm -hmm. to have a first experience asking family and friends. Um, One thing people don't always realize about crowdfunding is that about 80% of the monies invested through crowdfunding come from people you already know. Um, Sometimes people think, oh, I'll put up a Kickstarter campaign. All I have to do is make a video and millions of people around the world (laughs) will start, you know, ordering Mm -hmm. my products and supporting my company. Well, maybe if you know, you know, 800,000 of those 1 million people. So you have to really be ready to tap into your network. And that is 
the part that I think a lot of entrepreneurs find challenging is how do you ask people you know or friends of people you know for money. Yeah. And yeah. that's a mindset. My personal mission is to help a million more women get to a million in revenues by 2020. Mm-hmm. And from what I've seen teaching women in my fundraising boot camp is that it really just takes three things to be able to raise money. It's the mindset, the skill set, and the network. And of those three, the hardest one is actually the mindset mm-hmm. because you have to be able to summon up the confidence and the courage to go raise money and ask. And once you can do that and you're ready for it, then you just go get the skills. And entrepreneurs are very good at learning new things. I always say to the women in my boot camps, you know, what are all the things that you had to learn to do just to start your business? People had to figure out how to have items manufactured in China. They had to work out complex gross margin structures. They had to negotiate partnerships. They've done so many hard things already. Mm-hmm. And getting the skills to raise capital is no different. You just have to study it and, like I say, not get fluent in it, but get conversational in the language of raising capital. Yeah. So that's the mindset. The skill set is learning how to do it. And then the networks is making sure that you can get into the room with the people who can fund your company. Because even if you have a great mindset and a great skill set, if you don't pitch to people who can write you that check, it's not going to get you anywhere. So those are really the three magic ingredients that women need to fundraise, and it's just not that hard. So that's part of my mission is to help women understand that the bar is lower than they think to get out there and raise capital. Yeah. And and as an introvert listening to that, I think that I absolutely agree mindset and skill set. To me, the networking would be the most challenging because of, you know, similar to what you said before, like people don't know how to ask other people for money. So that's a skill, but it's also how do I even find out if the people I know are connected or have those resources? Like what if I don't know? Yes. Yeah. And you're, you're in good company. I think even people who consider themselves extroverts are still nervous mm-hmm. about the yeah. idea of raising money. It's a very different kind of interaction. And, you know, there are a few things more taboo in our society than money. Right. It's like, you know, people will tell you where they get their bikini wax before they tell Mm -hmm. you, you know, who they got (laughs) capital from or where they're going to invest their dollars. So I think we have a a hill to climb there. Um, Part of what motivates me to help women learn how to ask for money is that once you can do that, and it really is a muscle that you have to build over time. Um, Asking someone the first time is very difficult, then it gets easier and easier. And once you have that skill, you're able to attract people to your company and to whatever it is that you're building that can just help you get so much further, so much faster. And it's, it's not as hard as it seems. I would also say just back to the networking piece that nothing replaces in-person meeting of potential investors. I always encourage entrepreneurs to go to networking events, to go to venture capital summits, to go to talks where they might meet angel investors. But you can do so much of the advanced research online now. Mm-hmm. Angellift.com, A-N-G-E-E-L-L-I-S-T.com, mm-hmm. has all the investors, the angel investors, and which companies they're invested in. So you can find companies Mm. like yours and see who's investing in them and then work backwards, go over to LinkedIn, see who knows them, and really do a lot of targeted research online so that you don't have to dissipate yourself running around all these events. You could just go to one or two events where you know you'll meet these people who have the highest likelihood of funding your business. Absolutely. And that's, I'm so glad you brought it back to that because as we were talking in the beginning about introverts and extroverts and, you know, our, our pre-interview conversation about, you know, energy and, and what exhausts them and what energizes them. And, and I, I love that you're suggesting and offering a resource that says, you know, do, do your homework first, because then the expenditure of energy that going out there to those networking events is going to require will be uh, much more focused. You'll be much more strategic. You will feel better prepared and know that 
there's more likely going to be something good that comes out of it as opposed to thinking, oh my gosh, I've just got to show up everywhere all the time. Yes, that can seem really overwhelming, the idea that you have to go to every single event where you might possibly be an angel investor. And, you know, even though I consider myself an extrovert, I had two children when I was raising money, two young children under the age of five, and I didn't want to spend a lot of time out Mm -hmm. of the house. So I, I got very targeted and strategic about which events I would attend. And one thing that helped me a lot was I created an outreach tracking sheet. It was an Excel document where I wrote down every single person I wanted to meet, everyone I had met. I had a tab called Parking Lot, which Mm -hmm. were people who I had spoken to about my business and they were not interested for whatever reason. I would keep their information in the parking lot because you find that people start bringing up the same names over and over again. I work in ed tech. So there's only so many people interested in this educational technology field. And it was very important that if someone said, oh, have you talked to, you know, Parker Smith, that I wouldn't remember necessarily, well, I did talk to Parker Smith a year ago, and she said no, but now I don't remember that anymore. So instead, I had this spreadsheet that tracked everyone I ever touched or wanted to touch, and that was very helpful in being strategic about my time and which events to go to. Well, I want to touch on uh, this idea of going big, since that's part of the title. And it can mean so many different things to different people. And I think sometimes, um, I know I've sometimes had a reaction to that phrase, like, I will get exhausted just even thinking about what big might be. And I forget that I can define it for myself. Yes, I'm so glad you asked this question. It's a great question. <laughs> so how, it is. how do you clarify your own definition of going big? One of the reasons I wrote Million Dollar Women is that I find that when I'm speaking with male entrepreneurs, and I'm friends with many of them, especially through my entrepreneurs organization, EO, which is only about 15% women, that a lot of men define success by the number of zeros at the end of their revenues or what they sold their business for. Mm-hmm. I've had so many of those conversations with, you know, oh, you know, Tom, he's a huge success. He just sold his company for $20 million or, you know, $200 million. But the truth is, as women, I don't know that we are as attached to those numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we want what I call the triple win, which is money. We do want the money. We want the zeros. But we also want two other things just as much, and that is meaning, Mm -hmm. doing work that's meaningful to us, where we get up every day and feel like we're making a difference in the world and doing something that matters. And the third thing is mobility. Mm. We want the freedom to pick up our kids from school on a couple days a week if that's what we want to do, or serve on a nonprofit board, or take care of aging parents. We're often at the nexus of a lot of different communities that depend on us, and we want to be part of those communities. So I think to access the triple win of money, meaning, and mobility, women need to get very intentional about what does going big mean for them. And it's different for every person. Um, For myself, when I started Little Pim, I knew I wanted to be more than a lifestyle business, but I didn't know how big I could take it. Mm -hmm. And part of my having to shift the way I thought about things was realizing that if I wanted it to be a big international brand, that I had to shift the way I talked about the business, the way I approached my team, the kind of capital I needed to go big. And that's where a big transformation happened for me when I got very clear about what I wanted Little Pim to look like in five years. Yeah. And it's something it sounds like that it, it can evolve as you go. Like it's, you might not know when you start where it can go, but to be aware that it's important to check in with yourself that's right. and say how, it, you know, using your, your M's, how's, how's this influencing and, and um, 
What do I want in terms of money, mobility, and meaning? And meaning, exactly. And they, and they do shift over time. Certainly mm-hmm. when my kids were little, it was a top priority to not travel very much because I wanted to be very present in their lives when they were under the age of six. Now they're seven and ten, and it's not as big a thing if I go away for a few days. So I'm able to do a speaking tour for this book. I'm able to travel around and raise more money. And those things are, are very real for women building businesses. You can't separate the personal and the professional. Right. And I would imagine that there's there's a similar dynamic with men as well. Just like with introverts and extroverts, there's often a similar, like they might experience the same fear, opportunity, challenge, whatever on the outside, but how they deal with it on the inside is very different or how they prioritize or respond to it. That's true. And I think going big is such a personal thing, you know, whether it's for men or for women. I would say one gender difference, though, is that when I tell people I run a business at a cocktail party or something, mm-hmm. I often get, oh, do you work from home? Oh, gosh. You know, the, the yes. assumption is it's yes. this tiny, cute thing that you do, you know, while your kids are in preschool, mm-hmm. as opposed to if a guy started a business, the next question might be, you know, oh, well, have you raised capital or <laughs> how big do you want to go with that? Exactly. And so I think as women, I really want to challenge ourselves to, you know, think about how big can we go, right? Because mm-hmm. even though it's scary, the idea of having more people at the table who might be able to make decisions about the future of the company, and I know a lot of women are worried about that. It also means when you go big that you have a senior team that can help you run the business. It doesn't necessarily mean that you have so much more work and responsibility. It's different work and responsibility to run a big team than it is to, you know, run a smaller business where you may have to wear more hats. Yes, definitely. And I know that's been one of the shifts that has happened for me that, um, came to mind as you were talking about the shift in the way you were thinking and behaving, which was when I decided I didn't need to do it all by myself, that there were certain things that I could let go, or there were certain things that, yes, I could develop the expertise for that, but do I want to be the, you know, highest paid whatever, you know, um, because there are other people that already have that expertise that I, and, and what I noticed was that I felt really good to support another entrepreneur. And that somehow made me feel more abundant. Were you delegating out things that you used to do, or what yes. form did that take for you? Yeah, yes. like things so like editing. Go a little the, bit. Yeah, editing the podcast. You know, instead mm-hmm. of it taking me five hours, it takes my podcast producer an hour, and I'm supporting him in his business. And so it's That's it turns great. out to be this that. true win win. And and that was an unexpected kind of little bonus, I guess, that I didn't. I don't think I appreciated that how it would feel to be contributing to someone else's entrepreneurial success just by virtue of hiring them and tapping into their gifts. That's a great side benefit. And then, of course, the biggest benefit is the time it frees up for you to do (laughs) the work that only you can do. Yes. I had an efficiency coach once, and he started our work together by saying, of everything that you do, what is the 5% that only you can do? Mm-hmm. And it was such a challenging question because we usually think, no, no, 80% of what I do, exactly. only I can do. I was going to say 95%. <laughs> you mean the 5% somebody else can do. <laughs> no, nope, he makes you flip it. And yes. it was a really great way of pushing me to think about what can I delegate. And, you know, I look at my work today and I have a full-time assistant. I have virtual assistants. I work with a social marketing firm. You know, I have really pared down what I do to that 5% and I'm able to be very laser focused on it. And it's also more fun because you Mm -hmm. tend to like doing the things you're good at, right? And if you can be very targeted about what those things are and delegate out the rest, you actually find you enjoy your work more as well. Absolutely. I did. I found I enjoyed my work more once I delegated out the parts that not only I could do. 
Yeah. And I think that's so important, especially for the introvert entrepreneur, because as we were talking about energy, you know, it's like, it's not just energy when you're out socializing with people. It's just what are you spending your energy on in your business? And is it the best use of your energy of your highest gifts and your talent? And is it going to yeah. move your business forward the, the most? Or can there be somebody else to do it? Well, and one of the big messages of my book is for women to really understand that they are their greatest asset of their mm -hmm. business and that they have to protect that asset. And part of protecting that is to protect your energy, to know what you need to stay you know, in the game, motivated, mm -hmm. leading your team. I often like to say that the, the main role of the CEO is to hold the vision of the company. Mm -hmm. because so many things happen when you're running a business that could knock you off course, right? And it's really right. up to the CEO to hold that vision for the whole company and make sure the team sees the vision and is still moving towards it no matter what waves come knocking you over. <laughs> yeah. So in yeah. order to do that, you have to really have a strong core. And yes. uh, that's, that's something that sooner you figure that out and figure out how to protect yourself, the, the better it is for you and your business. Absolutely. Well, I, I've so enjoyed this conversation. I've learned a lot, especially about venture capital, which is such an interesting topic and, um, and something that's, it seems to be not just venture capital, but raising capital, raising money for your business is becoming so much more accessible. And, um, and I love this idea about defining big for yourself. Oh, thank you. Me too. Oh, it's my pleasure. And, and remember, for anyone who's considering raising capital, you know, you don't have to become fluent. You only have mm -hmm. to become conversational. I love it. So it's I love not it. as hard as you think. Exactly. And I do have a lot of resources on my website, a lot of free resources at juliapimsler.com. Great. Um, there are fundraising books. There are courses you can take. And I just want to help more people feel empowered to go out and get the capital they need to build their dream business. Yeah. Do great things in the world. Well, I want to ask Thank you, you a, a final question that I ask all my guests, and that's about Introvert Island. So ah, the extrovert gets to, to have a retreat, yes, and the books. Mm -hmm. So you can only take three books with you on this three-week vacation. What would you take with you and why? If I could only take three books, I would take my favorite children's book, which is called The Early Bird. Mm -hmm. And I've read that to my kids multiple times, and I always love rereading that one. I would take... Uh, Cherie by Colette. I'm half French, and I love mm. French novelists, so I would take hers. And then lastly, I think I'd take Darren Greatly by Brene yeah. Brown. There's yeah. so much wisdom in there, and I've been rereading it for the second or third time, so I think that one could be good for the long haul. Yeah, absolutely. And you know she has a new one out, Rising Strong. Yes, uh, the Rising Strong. Absolutely. Yes. Are you reading that as well? Uh, well, I just heard her speak a few nights ago in Seattle and, and picked up my copy. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. That's great. She's a fabulous speaker. The reason she was inspiring for me is when I, I sort of identified this problem that not enough women are raising capital, and then I thought, someone should really write a book on that. This is really important. <laughs> <laughs> and it took a while for me to realize that, that someone could be me, and I happened to be reading Daring Greatly at the time. And she did this study of women that showed that women often grapple with this question of, I'm not enough. I'm yes. not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't know enough about business to take my business big. And in my case, it was, you know, I'm not enough of an expert mm -hmm. to write this book. Mm -hmm. And I suddenly thought, well, well, who is? And who's stepping up to do it, right? right? And no one is actually doing it. So I decided that I was enough and that I was going to go write the book. And I, <laughs> exactly. Hopefully I would have gotten there on my own, but Brene Brown really helped me get around that corner. Oh, lovely. Yeah, it's like we wait for others to bestow the, the label expert on us when we don't realize that often we can claim something of that for ourselves. That's right. And I love the quote, um, the only thing that every famous person has in common is that one day they weren't. Mm -hmm. I love it. <laughs> right? No one started out an expert. Like, exactly. People decided to become an expert. Yeah. Well, thanks for inspiring us. 
just in closing, um, just the bottom line, what's the best way for people to connect with you and especially, you know, learn about your book and, um, and other things that you might have to offer? The best way for people to connect with me would be just to go to my website at juliapimsler.com. I have a lot of free resources there to get started on fundraising and some programs they might enjoy, everything from a fundraising boot camp online to the 10 secrets of top performers. So come check me out at juliapimsler.com and please write to me. I'd love to hear from you. Awesome. I'm also very active on Twitter at juliapimsler. Oh, good. Well, thank you so much for your generosity and for taking the time. I've, I've really enjoyed My it. My pleasure. And Thanks, uh, Beth. we'll be Bye. back in touch. Thanks. Here's my invitation to you. In the next 24 hours, take a few moments to reflect on what going big means to you. Consider all aspects of your business, the people you serve, the message you're putting out there, how you're showing up, what your financial goals are, what kinds of products and services you're offering, and the type of lifestyle you want to create, and the change that you want to make in the world. Going big doesn't have to mean millions of dollars, customers, or Twitter followers. It's all relative. Decide what it means for you and start plotting a roadmap to get there. And if you want support, know that there are entrepreneur coaches, masterminds, and support networks to help you navigate. I offer free coaching information sessions to explore if coaching is a good fit, and I know many of my colleagues do the same. The most important thing is to identify and utilize support that will keep you moving forward. If you find value in these podcasts, I invite you to take a moment to stop by iTunes and leave a short review. Reviews and ratings help raise the visibility of the podcast, making it easier for people to find it and benefit from it. Thanks so much for considering. Upcoming episodes include interviews with Jennifer Conweiler, author of the recently released The Genius of Opposites. Tracy Benson, founder of On the Same Page, David Nyhill, author of Do You Talk Funny? And Kevin Cruz, author of 15 Secrets Successful People Know About Time Management. So stay tuned for those podcasts, all coming soon. Special thanks to my podcast producer, Paul Messing, and for you for spending this time with me. And remember, if you love this podcast, you'll love my book too. Visit my website for the show notes and all of the links you need to get your very own copy. This is Beth Bilo of The Introvert Entrepreneur, and until we meet again, remember that success is an inside job. Mm-hmm.